Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Again, just want to welcome everybody to Encounter. My name is Jared. I'm the lead pastor here. And one last thing about our Malawi missions team uh, that I wanted to make sure that you guys were aware of is that we have a team of six individuals from our church who are uh, there in Malawi as we speak now. And uh, all for the next two weeks, we want to encourage you to be praying for them as well as for the rest of the team. I think it's 150 individuals from churches all over the world who are joining them together in La Long Way. It sounds like an interesting word, right? Lalongwe, Malawi. They are there all together, part of uh, this mission's uh, trip uh, with SOS Mission or SOS Adventure as the organization. Uh, we want to pray for them. So be lifting them up every day uh, in your personal prayers that God would, would, would work through them to bring the name of Jesus uh, to these people who've never heard of him and that they would be added to, the, to his kingdom we're going to be doing a lot of different types of outreach as well, uh, providing relief with uh, supplies, donations that we've provided and, and all that. So let's be praying for them. And you can stay updated on our Facebook page as well as our Instagram. We'll be Any updates we get from the mission field will be on our social media platform, so you can follow along there as well. All right, so uh, today we are continuing our summer message series called Created. Uh, we've been in this for two weeks now. The first week we talked about chapters one and two about the creation account. Last week we talked about uh, chapters four through six, I believe it was, with the fall of man. And this week we're going to continue with the story of the flood. But before we do that, I wanted to uh, highlight a question. We have a questions box that is right outside in, uh, in the lobby. As soon as you walk out the doors, there's a box there. So if you ever hear something that you have a question about or you would like some clarification on or you're just not sure what you think about a particular topic or something that I say in a message or during worship, whatever it might be, we encourage you to drop your questions in that box. And I consider them and then like to take time through our service to answer those throughout the week. And this week, we had a question that came up, and it was this. What is the symbol on the bottom right of the series slide? So you can see here on our message slide, uh, right here, there's these, these, uh, this symbol here. Well, the answer is that it's a Hebrew word, and I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit about it. The Hebrew word, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but on our next page, I think we have uh, a little bit of a, of a slide that shows you. It's the word bara or bare. I think next one. Yeah, right there. So this word, the Hebrew word is bare, which means to create, to be created, or to shape. Okay, so this is the word that in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created, right? And oftentimes, uh, it's translated as made, but there is such a deeper word or meaning to it, which is more of like a shaping or a sculpting, okay? The idea of God creating the universe is not just, oh, he just kind of threw it together or just kind of threw it out there. It intonates that there was an intentionality to it, and the idea is that as an artist would shape something like a sculptor, he pours himself into it so that it's just right. The finished product is perfect. It's beautiful. It's what he intended, right? So the word there that we see, let's go back to the original page for the created slide. You can see it. This word, the Hebrew word right here, it's these three, is B-R apostrophe, which is like bare or bra, and it means to create, to shape, or to sculpt. And here's what's interesting, is that this word is unique, 
and is never used anywhere else other than in a divine action. This is really neat. So I wanted to read something real quick from uh, the theological lexicon of the Old Testament as I was diving into to try to understand a little bit more. This is what I learned. I'm going to read it. It says, God is always the subject of the expression of that word. Indeed, always God's, Israel's God, never a foreign deity. The most important point is that a special word is employed, which stands for nothing else than the creative agency of God, and so dissociates itself from all analogy with human making and shaping. In other words, this word is only used in reference to God creating something unique or special. It, there is no comparison otherwise. That's the point. Is It's trying to say, like, this word was employed because there was no word in the, in the language of what a human could ever do to, to shape the concept of what it means for God to create something. Like, it is a unique word that's not used. There is no thing that a human being could ever do that would equal this word. That's the idea behind it, okay? And so it finishes by saying, to the extent that the Old Testament reserves the verb exclusively for God, this type of creation has no analogy and is therefore beyond conceptualization. Divine activity can be perceived only insofar as it remains comparable to human activity. In other words, we can't even understand the depths of God's creative capacity because we can only understand human creative capacity, right? So that's what it's saying there. Therefore, the verb expresses nothing further concerning the method of creation. In other words, we can't possibly fathom the depths of God's creative ability because we can't get there ourselves. And so that word in our, in our, in our series, Created, is this idea that God was so powerfully involved in his creative capacity that it is on, the only thing we could do is create a word that means something that only God could do. So we just wanted to share that with you. Thank you for asking that question. It gives us an opportunity to be able to, uh, to share this. And as a, as a little bit of a point for you, one of our core values of a church is to dig deeper. And I love that our creative team, our art team who creates these graphics, is creating layers upon layers in our own graphics to create meaning. And that's really another way for us to kind of point to this idea that that's what we want to do in our faith. The, the Word of God is so deep with layers of meaning and context that if we just read it on its layer, we'll miss it. And so when we study, when we dig into God's Word, when we dig into our faith, when we ask questions, when we meditate on it, when we go to life groups and we ask questions and we struggle and we wrestle with those things, we actually find such a deeper meaning to our faith. And so we want to encourage you with that. So thank you, media team, for creating a beautiful graphic. And one other little small tidbit of information, if you're wondering, on the top left, it's hard to see, but it's actually the, the genealogy of from Adam all the way through the nation of Israel. So very cool layers of art and uh, meaning and depth in, uh, in, this, in our, art week, our art piece there. So thank you for that. All right. Just wanted to answer that real quickly. So last week we talk, tackled Genesis chapter 3 and 4. We were talking about the fall of man, and the big idea was that the story of the fall shows us the insidious and invasive nature of sin. And, you know, the first few weeks of this series have been heavy, and today is not going to be overly encouraging. Again, I promise you the, the light is coming through the clouds, okay? The first, you know, 10 chapters or so of the book of Genesis are pretty heavy because they're painting this picture of what the world desperately needed God to step in, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about, about that today. But today we're we're going to continue the story, and we're going to follow the family tree that we talked about here just a minute ago of Adam and Eve, right? We learned the story from Adam and Eve, and then ultimately Cain and Abel, and what happened with them. And so we're going to follow the family tree several generations, all the way up to Noah. 
and explore the story of the great flood. And while we're following along with this story, let's pay attention to the effects of sin that we talked about last week. We're going to see how it is multiplied, how it has become so invasive, and the curse that we discussed last week. So in leading up to uh, where we're going to go today, here's kind of a brief summary. Chapter 3, Adam and Eve fall into the lies of the serpent, and sin is brought into the world. This is a familiar story that many of us, whether we've been in church or not, it's a part of our kind of pop cultural identity. We understand what happened in the creation account. Chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel, the first offspring of Adam and Eve, the first generation born with sinful nature. Remember some of those effects of sin that we talked about last week, that we see things in a distorted view. We see that happening. We see deception popping up and believing lies, and we're lying to other people. We see that there division between between man and another brother or or sisters we see that or even between division now between humanity and God is illustrated in that story and ultimately death taking place spiritual but also physical all of that happened in the Cain and Abel story well the next chapter chapter 5 Adam and Eve then have another child his name is Seth and nine generations go by okay between this story that we from chapter 5 all the way to where we get to Noah nine generations go by in fact it's 926 years, which is crazy. And the reason it's so long is because the lifespan at the time was 900 years. Now, that's insane. And it's actually a little bit of an information for a little tidbit of info. We're going to see that God does something about that in our story today. So at the time, it sounds crazy to us that anyone would live that long, right? So the, that's why the generations of nine years took 900 years. So from Seth all the way up to Noah now, when nine generations went by. And chapter 6 begins midway through Noah's life. At this point, the Bible says that Noah was 500 years old. And so to frame our discussion today, to frame our, our message, if you're taking notes, write this down. Get your notepads out. We also have notebooks for you at the Connection Center if you'd like to take notes and keep them all in one spot. Write this down. Here's the big idea of today's message that's going to kind of inform everything we say. The story of the flood is an illustration of both consequences and intervention. And this is the interesting thing. If you've ever grown up in, the, in, in Sunday school or in church and you've heard the story of Noah, as children we oftentimes gloss over the difficult uh, aspects of this passage of Scripture that, that God ultimately... Um, you know, intervened and wiped out a good portion of humanity. That's hard for children to understand and honestly hard for adults to understand. So we want to we wanna give credence to that. We want to talk about that. We don't want to gloss over that. But that's not the only part of the story. A lot of us get hung up on it. We struggle with the story of Noah as adults because we're like, how could I serve a God that would do something like that, right? If, if anybody's in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know that I've struggled with this. But that's only half the story. The story of the flood is not just a story of consequences, it's also a story of intervention. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today. So let's get into it. So let's begin reading in chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6. And all throughout, as we read today, remember the story of the flood is an illustration of consequences and intervention. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Genesis chapter 6. We also have free Bibles for you uh, out as soon as you walk out the door where that questions box are. We have free Bibles for you. Please go ahead and grab one before you leave today. Genesis 6 begins by saying this, when mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, verse 3 continues, the Lord said, my spirit 
will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. So you can see right off the bat, here we go. God was like, okay, things are getting out of control. They're getting out of hand and truncates, truncates the lifespan from down from 900 to approximately 120 years. Verse 5, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky for I regret that I made them. And then it's got this interesting verse here, which seems to be the opposite, right? Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. So right there in this this introduction paragraph to chapter 6, this story that many of us are familiar with, the Noah account of the flood, we see that the story of the flood is an illustration of both consequences and intervention. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Well, these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I would not want to be named Ham. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. You see the picture it's painting here? The earth was corrupt, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was for every creature. This is interesting. Every creature. It seems to imply not just humans. Every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. And then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Verse 17, understand that I am bringing a flood. He's kind of outlining what's about to happen. Floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven and bring the breath of life or to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark with your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. So we have this challenging passage of Scripture that seems to paint God in two different sorts of pictures at the same time. We have a God who appears to be angry or appears to to want to take this this, uh, incredibly uh, sort of heavy-handed or or final um, sort of action against the earth clearly because there are problems. There's that the earth has been filled with wickedness, that every creature has been corrupted. I don't, what does that look like? What does, a, what does a plant that is corrupted look like? What does a, a, like a squirrel, a corrupted squirrel look like? Something was going on that scripture seems to paint this picture, that there was such a corruption, such a vileness, that something was so evil and wicked that was happening all over the earth that something had to be done. And yet, We see this other picture, this other side of what appears to be the same God that says, but I found righteousness. I have a new covenant. I'm going to preserve. I'm going to do something else. Because it seems contradictory, but it's actually not. And this is why. It's because the story is both a picture of consequences and of intervention. And we'll talk more about that later. But here's what happens in chapter 7. So the next chapter. Noah and his family then build the ark. We know this story. He builds it. He steps inside it with all the animals that God had gathered together, and they get inside the boat. God then brings rain, and it rains for 40 days, 
and 40 nights. All they have to say that, 40 days and 40 nights. It's, I don't know why it seems to indicate that. And every time we talk about it as a church, it's always both. But 40 straight days, it rains, and the underground springs of the earth, the network of water systems underneath, the Bible says, open. And it floods the earth so much so that the water fills the earth even above the mountaintops. That's incredible. That's a lot of water. And it wipes out everything on the face of the earth. Every living thing that breathes oxygen is wiped out, Scripture says. But Noah and his family and all the animals spend a total of a year in this boat. A year they were living inside of this ark that was floating around. And the Bible says that finally, after the span of a year, the water had receded enough and they, the water comes down and it lands the ark just sort of lands and rests in a mountain range that is today somewhere in the mountains of what is today western Turkey or Armenia. That's the idea. We don't know exactly where. It says the mountains of Ararat, which is not just Mount Ararat in Turkey. It's actually this whole plain area, this mountain range called, called Ararat, the Ararat region, which is actually spanning western Turkey into Armenia. So somewhere along the lines is where the, where the ark rested. Now, the story of the flood is an illustration of consequences and intervention. Now, what do we mean by that? What consequence could possibly deserve this behavior? And then what does it mean that God intervened? Because it looked like he acted rather than intervened. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit today. Verse 5, remember in chapter 6 said, Human wickedness was widespread on the earth. And every indication of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. And then we see again in verse 11 and 12 that the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. So the story of the flood is first one that illustrates God's mandate to deal with sin. And I think this is really important for us because in our modern time of talking about Christianity, what a lot of people don't want to do is talk about this idea of sin. We talked a little bit about this last week, the effect of it, the curse of sin and how it is real. But you see, the gospel message of Jesus is really, is really set upon the foundation that Jesus Christ gave his life as a sacrifice to pay for something. It wasn't just, oh, well, you guys, you guys just don't know me. If that's the case, why would he have to go to such great lengths to pay for anything? Why would a death on the cross be required? Why would a sacrifice need to be made if there wasn't anything that needed dealt with? We don't like talking about this in modern Christianity. We don't like to, to, to invite people guests. I, I think about it myself. When new people come to church, I don't know what background they come from. And so it's a challenge for me as a pastor to say, well, I don't want to say something that's going to, the first Sunday someone walks in the door to talk about a topic so heavy as sin and our human nature and the curse that's upon our earth and the struggles that we deal with because they might not want to hear that and then they might leave and never come back. Like this is what a lot of churches struggle with in modern day. But the story of the flood, first and foremost, shows that God is a God who is righteous and holy and has to deal with the evil that lurks in our world. What kind of a God would he be if he never dealt with injustice. We, we want to hear about a God who fights for the oppressed, right? We like that. We, we love to hear about a, a Jesus who, who brings people together. We love to hear about a God who mends relationships and heals and brings wholeness and restoration because that's the wonderful thing of who God is. But 
what was the cause of the division in the first place? What was the cause of the brokenness in relationships? What was the reason that God had to intervene in the first place? Because there is sin in a world. Because every one of us has a disease of the curse of man, of the fall of man, living within us that causes us. The Bible says every inclination of the mind was wickedness. That, that I don't even know what that meant. Like That means that, like, that maybe like children were rising up and killing their parents, stealing from their children. They were looking at whatever they would want. They would just take it. We see this all over the world today. Is it really that hard for us to believe that there is sin in the world, that there, are, that there is a condition that every one of us struggles with? I mean, again, I said this last week. Like, I don't have to teach my kids when they're babies to lie or to say no. Where does that come from? This idea of like, no, mine, like, you know, and keeping all of that together. This is something that's inherent in all of us. And so the first part of what we see in the story of, of Noah and the flood is that God has a mandate to deal with, that there are consequences for our actions, that it has to be dealt with. If God is a good God, if he is holy, that somehow he has to deal with it. And so humanity was out of control, destroying itself, succumbing to complete depravity. And apparently every aspect of the earth was, was, was involved in this. It wasn't just people. And so it was like the ultimate binger. You know, I don't know if, if you've ever been a part of this or if you have this kind of personality. There have been moments in my life where I have chosen willingly to ignore God's commands in my life. And when that happens, I have a binging type of personality where I kind of go off the deep end for a while. You know, where it's like, and I do this with eating. This is a great kind of like a, an easy example, but I do it with eating. When I, for the last year, my wife and I have been on this health journey where we've been on sort of this low-carb, low-sugar thing to help us, and we've lost a lot of weight. It's been really great. You feel so good about it, but you know what's happened? You will, I have allowed, occasionally I'll allow this time in where like a weekend will go out uh, uh, for like a special date weekend or something, and then you're eating at these restaurants, and you start to eat things that, you know, are not part of that, that system, and then, and it's fine for a little bit, but then when I get back, I don't get back on the train. I get home, and now we're eating out still at home, or I've got all the potato chips in the house, and I find myself not just eating a few, I eat like the whole bag, right? This is what happens to me, and maybe you understand this idea, and that's kind of the idea of what was happening, is that from Adam and Cain and Abel through Seth, nine generations later, into where we see this picture of the story of Noah, that, that they had gone so far off the deep end, like this ultimate binger of like completely ignoring and forgetting who God was, and they're just indulging in the most depraved of lifestyle and habits, and God is looking at them going, this has got to stop. I love them too much to, to allow this to continue. They're destroying themselves. They're destroying the earth. They're destroying everything that I created. My intention for everything is being destroyed. There has to be consequences. It must be dealt with. And that's what we see in this picture, that God has to deal with things. Without consequential action, any remaining hope would be snuffed out. God had to act. And this is so true, even in our own lives today, that God often acts through the consequences in our lives to get our attention and to protect us from further destruction. Listen, this is what the story of the flood is teaching, is that the things that we do have consequences to them. And oftentimes God will use those consequences to get our attention to say you are headed on a path that is going to destroy you and the rest of the people around you if you don't stop. And so God allows these consequences to take place in our lives. 
You know, if I, if I'm a, if I, if I choose to, to continue to do something that I know is destructive or wrong, I can't blame anybody for the things that happen, the ripple effect and the destruction that takes place in my own life if I'm not willing to listen to it. And so there are consequences for the actions. And I believe first and foremost the story of the flood is teaching this concept that God is righteous and holy and loves his people, loves it. His heart is grieved over the consequences that must come. But how could God possibly preserve something if there are no consequences to our actions? I believe that's the first thing that it's talking about. But it is very important for us to understand something is that God's intention was always preservation. Always preservation. And this is where I think we sometimes get confused or lost because the language in the scripture seems to indicate that God changed his mind. That, like, that somehow like, God regretted. It's that God regretted that he ever made man. And I, I struggled with that until I got a deeper understanding in the context. That's a language issue. That's a language issue. If you look at the rest of Scripture, it teaches that God loves humanity greater than anything else that he's ever created. And the picture of the story of Noah was not that God was like, oh, well, I guess I'll hit the reset button. Because if that was the case, he would have just killed everything and then started fresh again. But he didn't. He stopped with Noah. He, it paints a picture that God's point in all of this in the beginning was always preservation. That he had to paint a picture that consequences must come for sin, but... His goal was always to preserve. And I want you to know that today in your own life. If you're facing consequences for the actions you have taken, decisions that you have made that were poor, where they were unhealthy, you may be facing those consequences. It does not mean that God doesn't love you anymore. It doesn't mean that you have gone so far and that it's over for you. The point of the consequences are ultimately to preserve you. That is the idea that God is trying to get across here. So the story of the flood is one of consequences, but it's also one of intervention. Intervention that ultimately leads to a promise. An intervention by a different kind of God than had ever been known before. And a promise of a different kind of relationship between God and humanity. And we're going to continue reading in just a minute about an intervention, but it's important for us to understand this. And this is kind of where we're heading. So hang on, right? Because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get to Abraham. And once we get to that point in the story, you'll begin to see this idea of God creating something, doing something new, creating a new kind of people. Like positioning himself as a God who is different than every other God of the era. Every story to this point, the creation account, the, the fall of man, ultimately, you know, this idea of the Noah and the flood story, and then ultimately once we get to Abraham, you're going to start to see this pattern take place where God begins acting like every other God at the time, right? Have you ever heard the story of Isaac, or of Abraham having to sacrifice his child, Isaac, and then God stops? We're going to get to that. I don't want to spoil it if you've ever heard the story, but that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. Every one of these stories starts with this idea that, oh, that we've heard this story before, malevolent God, angry God, one who is going to smite you at any moment. We have to do something to please him, right? That's what every single God was like at the time, and then the story gets flipped, God then changes it and shows that he's different than all of them. So it's a literary tool that's being used to show, to bring the crowd in and go, I've heard this story before. I've heard it. God's going to kill everybody because he's angry and he's malevolent. 
But that's not what happens. In the end, God does something different. And so what we're about to see in the intervention, and we'll see in the coming weeks and all the way through Genesis to the end of our summer, is that God is creating something new. He's doing something different. He's positioning himself as a different kind of God that no one has ever met before. And that what is available in him is not available anywhere else. And we're going to begin to see that right now in this intervention concept. So chapter 6, verse 18 says, But I will establish my covenant with you. Remember that word covenant, because in the next several chapters, as we get into Abraham and through the Israel story, we're going to hear this word over and over again. I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark with your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. And here we go. God shows himself to be different than every other God, one that intervenes, One that says, I have to deal with consequences. I have to give you to deal with the sin that is happening. I have to do that, but I want to preserve you. I will intervene in your life so that you will know that you are loved, that you are not too far gone, that you will know that I can be trusted, I can be respected, because I'm your father. I tell my son and my daughter this all the time. There are consequences for your action, but everything that happens to you is designed to teach you how to live life effectively, how to be true, how to know that you are loved. And yes, there is pain in the, in the punishment, in the discipline, in those things, but as your father, I love you, and I will intervene on your behalf to preserve you. That's the story we see, is that God looks at the story of the flood, and he says, this world has gone off the deep end, and it must be dealt with. However, I will preserve, I will create something new. Out of it, a new life will be born. This is not the end of the story for you. And that's the same picture for us today. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how bad your decisions have been, no matter what you have done, that even though the consequences might be painful and you may deal with them for the rest of your life, and that's possible, there are consequences that sometimes linger for such a long time. It does not mean that God is done with you. He will continue. He is promising something else. And that's the point of the intervention. God says, I'm creating a covenant with you, Abraham, or Noah. And it all starts with the intervention. Let's read chapter 8, and we're going to finish here today. God remembered Noah. So at this point, the flood has been gone. The the, the waters have receded. the, The ark has rested. And it says, God remembered Noah as well as the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wild wind to pass over the earth, and the water began to subside. Then God spoke to Noah, verse 15, Come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, and I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. You see the difference there? God is positioning himself now as completely different than any other God. Because even in this era of time, even if a God acted benevolently, even if you did all the sacrifices and then it rained, oh, thank God, I gave my only child. This was so common at the time. And we'll talk more about this in the Abraham and Isaac story that we'll get to later. But it was so common for people to sacrifice their own children in order to help it rain 
or to have more babies because that was what it was. Gods are angry. They're just jerks, and you have to give them some sort of sick kind of a, of a, of a sacrifice to, like, coerce them to do something good for you. And so this is the idea right here is that God finally exercised, ah, I feel so much better now that I've murdered all these people. Like, that's the idea, right? But then God flips it, and he says, no, I'm not like the other gods. I'm not like them. I will never again do this, ever. And it's hard for us to understand, but why'd you do it in the first place? And I think we've dealt with that, but it's also a literary tool. Please understand that. It's positioning God as someone completely different, completely unheard of. I love you. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will multiply you. The world will be fruitful now. Do you see? This is so important for us to understand that God is saying, I am not like every other God. This story has a different ending than you've ever heard before. And he says to him at the very beginning of chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, remember what a blessing means, to pass along God's goodness, to continue it, to hand it, to freely give his blessing. And God blessed Noah and his sons and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If our worship team wants to come back up, listen, God in this moment restored the blessing that was given to Adam and to Eve. What he originally created everything for, it didn't go away. It wasn't like, okay, sorry, guys, you screwed up. That's done. We have a new world now, and you got to just kind of get along. No, God went right back to the same mandate, the same desire that he had, which was to, to be, be fruitful, to live a good life, to enjoy God's creation, this sculpture that he has made for us to enjoy and to participate in, and to pass it along to the animals and to our children and to bless those, everyone around us. It's so interesting to me. Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. That means pass along God's goodness to our enemies. Do you see this concept that God has been, been passing along to us? We are carriers. We are keepers of it. And it all started in this moment where God renewed that covenant with Noah. God's intervention shows that God is a different kind of God who's creating a new kind of people, and we are those people. We're different than anyone has ever been before because of what Jesus has done, and it starts back here in Genesis. A people who could know him, a people who could hear from him and partner with him to bring restoration to the world. And these people, Noah and his sons, and ultimately these people would become the nation of Israel. And from that space, God would bring the Messiah, Jesus, to save the world. This is the picture that's being painted in Genesis. It all starts with understanding the, the, the need that God had to act. But he loved humanity so much that he intervened. He intervened and prepared a new way, a new covenant. And he said, this is what I'm creating. And now we're going to begin to see the story of Abraham and God's promise to him. And then the children that come from him, that become the people of Israel. And then the promise of one who would come ultimately to bring salvation to the whole world, which we know is Jesus. And here we are today, children of that promise. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it all started here in the book of Genesis. The story of the flood is an illustration of consequences and of intervention. Would you stand with me? We're going to close. While we, we're going to sing one last song just to, again, seal this moment off. We want to respond to what God would say to us today. Before we do, I have just a couple quick practical thoughts about this. Number one, because God is good, he must deal with sin. This is important for us to understand and to integrate into our lives. 
If you feel guilt over the shame or the shame or the sin that's in your life, it's not designed to just make you feel bad. It's God saying to you, this is not what I have for you. I want more for you. I want better things for you. And so it's an indicator that God is speaking to us, that we're missing the mark, that we're pushed away from him, that it's dividing and keeping a a gap between us and who he is. So because God is good, he must deal with sin. Number two, sin creates consequences. The decisions that we make, the choices that we make, create ripple effects for us and for those around us that, are, that need dealt with. And so we, as a people, have to recognize that and to take action to, 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 to mitigate that. And whenever possible, to rectify the things that we have done wrong, to mitigate and to, to mend those consequences. But thank God that even though God disciplines us, it's always to preserve us. Romans 8.1 It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whenever God brings consequences, whenever our choices create painful situations, it's not to beat us down. It's not so that God can smite us or that he can keep us under his thumb. It's so that he can preserve us because he sees that what we are doing is driving us away from other people, away from him. It's harmful, it hurts us, and it hurts our planet, it hurts our world. It's always designed to preserve us to know goodness and wholeness and restoration and healing and ultimately to have a relationship with Jesus so that we can know our creator and be restored and be blessed. That's what the consequences, that's what the what his hand is always for. Never out of anger, never out of hatred or frustration, but out of a desire to bring us back into healing and a relationship with him. Would you close your eyes with me as we pray? Father, if I thank you that you give us insight into your words. There are passages of scripture that are difficult difficult for us to understand at times, at face value. And I recognize that some of the things that I have said this morning, that potentially they could be off. And I don't want to be, I've done my best to try to wrestle with this passage and study. And I encourage every one of you to do that on your own this week or to ask questions, to bring them back up and we can talk about them. But the goal here isn't literally trying to understand everything. The goal is to just know God more and to try to understand who he is and how he operates. And so, Father, that's what we want. Speak through the words that were spoken today. Get into our hearts. Help us to understand what kind of a God you are the one that that does love us so much that must deal with the things that we do wrong. The actions we have have consequences, but you are not bringing them along to, to beat us down. I pray that you would help us to see that and to receive your love, to receive your intervention. God, get our attention in the areas of our lives, the sin that has kept us away from you. God, if there are things in our heart right now, in our lives right now that you're pinpointing, the Holy Spirit right now is drawing a circle around something in our lives that is keeping us from other people and keeping us from you, I pray that you would put a spotlight on that thing, that you would show it to us, and not from shame, not to be condemned, but so that you would put a finger on it and say, child, son, daughter, this is not what I have for you. This is leading you down a road that is going to take you away from me and away from what you need in life. God, give us the willingness in our hearts to see it, to recognize that your spirit is showing us those things and give us the courage to begin to root them out of our lives. God, we repent of those things. 
Guys, if, if, if anyone in the room this morning, right now, is feeling that, that kind of push from the Holy Spirit on something in your life, the proper response is to repent. Repent means to, to have like a heartfelt contrition over this thing and then to turn from it. And I recognize that that's a process that oftentimes it's like we're going in circles, you know, that down the path we might go back to it and be tempted and give in and, and fail and we have to get up and walk again. And that's not what I'm, what I'm saying is, is right now let's resolve in our hearts to say this thing that is, is poisonous in my heart, this thing that is keeping me from God, this thing that is keeping me, driving me away from him or from other people, I want, I, I'm sorry for it. I don't want to do it any longer. I repent of that. I ask for you to forgive me. Dad, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for how I keep doing it. I'm sorry that my heart has been in the wrong place, that I have ignored you for years maybe about this thing. I'm sorry. I don't want it anymore. Help me to get past it. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to root it out of my life. And only you can do. If that's what you want, guys, make that your own prayer. God, I want that. I don't want to do this anymore. And I believe now in the name of Jesus Christ that his spirit is beginning to root those things. Something's happening in your heart. The power of God is, is working. All it takes is willingness. We just have to be willing to say, God, I don't want it anymore. I'm sorry for it. Take it away from me. And he'll begin to work. He'll begin to do that work in your life. It's powerful. I have seen addictions broken off of people over time. I've seen it happen immediately, but more often than not, it's a willing heart to walk with God in the process of him restoring us day by day. And sometimes it takes years, but I've seen it. I've seen it. It's beautiful and it's available for you. It's available for me. Guys, I struggle with this stuff. There are things in my life that I struggle with and I continue to and I hate it just like the Apostle Paul says in, in, in uh, I think it's Romans where he says, I, I can't stand the fact that I keep doing the things that I know are wrong. He was honest about it and I'm being honest with you today and God wants you to be honest with him. It's okay to fail. It's okay to have mistakes. It's okay to, to go back to the things that you did and then to repent from them because he's a good God who loves us and will never, ever turn his back and say that was too many. That's not who he is. And I believe the story of the flood teaches that, that he will intervene to preserve us. You just have to take the step toward him today. And if you've never, never begun a relationship with Jesus, if you've never met that God, you've never, you've always thought that God was malevolent, that he's beating you down and that he's angry with you. I'm here to tell you he's not, but if you'd like to begin a relationship, to know him today, to receive that intervention in your life, which is through Jesus, then all you have to do is just say that you believe in him. You believe he is who God says he is, the son of God, the one who gave his life on the cross, on a cross so that it would pay for our sin once and for all. And if you want that, I'm going to pray a prayer. And all of us as a church, those of us who already follow Jesus, let's say it together so as one family, we'll welcome new people into our family today. Let's just pray together. If you want to believe in Jesus and begin a relationship with him and begin that restoration, that healing in your life, to follow him every day, just repeat after me as one church. Let's do this together. Jesus, I choose you today. I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. Would you forgive me? Would you teach me a better way? And when I fail, I will get right back up and look to you again and follow you every day. I believe in you. I believe that you are good. 
And I thank you for your intervention. I will follow you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.